Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 27th Kessel Run Comics Podcast. This is your host, Macadelic, and co-host... Skelly Boy. And as always, we're back again with more Chom Entertainment. And we actually have a few pieces of spec to talk about this week, so that's good. Getting kind of back to a regular scheduled program. But anyway, as we always do, we're going to jump straight back into our top five. So, Jacob, introduce our number five. Number five, we have Rick and Morty Go to Hell, number two. And we picked this one up because we read the first one whenever it released on that podcast episode, and it was pretty funny. And I've got to say, with this one, I'm disappointed in it, you know? It was picked because we liked the last one, and don't get me wrong, this one wasn't funny, but I hold Rick and Morty to a certain standpoint, and it didn't didn't meet my criteria. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, Rick and Morty with kind of how quickly the TV show came onto the scene, and then shortly after that, you know, it had its own comic property, you know, getting bought by Oni Press and them starting to put out their ongoing series. And their ongoing series was fantastically received. You know, so many people who liked the TV show also thought the comic kind of followed suit. Well, after, well, during the ongoing series, they had many one-shots and many different mini-series. And uh, some of them have been hit and some of them have been missed so ultimately you just kind of got to read and figure it out and like jacob said with issue one we were we were pro issue one but issue two just kind of felt flat you know yeah the story follow-up yeah the story is great the progression was great and the art was great it just didn't meet the expectations right it didn't and I'll say this, with the, I think I've read two of the issues from the ongoing series. I read an, a one-shot, I read the Flesh Curtains one-shot, and where he's in like a band with Bird Person. And then I read Go to Hell number one. Out of all of the material that I read, the one that I liked the least was this issue number two. Yeah. Because like I said earlier, the ongoing, it kind of does, it's almost written the the same way I imagine the TV show is written while and a one shot one shots are hard to be bad because yeah. one shots are just that solo story you know you pick it up you read it you enjoyed it or you didn't and then it's done there's you know no more expounding off of that same idea but yeah this issue of Rick and Morty kind of felt flat yeah all right Jacob what's your rating on it I'm gonna give it a two and a half it's right in the middle Okay. Because it's not bad, it just... I'll be right there with you on a two and a half. So it's a five out of ten, basically. Alright, Max, so what we got for number four? Alright, number four on our list is Spider-Woman number two. This was one of those books that kind of got shafted by COVID-19. This was a book that released maybe a week, two weeks before the big COVID, you know, distribution break and everybody kind of, uh, what is it called? Housing in place or, or I think it's called sheltering in place, but either way, you know, this was one of those books that we just had such a long period of time where we were just kind of wondering yeah. after that, cause the way issue one ends as well kind of leaves you on a cliffhanger. It makes you want to find out what happens in the issue too probably better than most of these other comics from issue to issue you know 
Yeah, seeing. the first one was phenomenal, and I remember this one. It's with this one getting shafted the way it did. I forgot it was a series. Yeah, you know, I just quit looking for Spider Woman too. And you were super hype about number one. Like yeah, the weeks I love number up. one. I was so prepared for it because I love Spider Woman, and she finally got a new ongoing, and then it just got shafted. And this book was, it wasn't as up there as the has the first one. But it had some good elements. You get to see her human side in it a lot more. She talks about her kid. And you just get to see her go through a life-changing event in it. Yeah. It's not a very action-packed book, but it has a lot of emotion with it. Very much so, yeah. Even the bits of action that you got had emotion very highly sprinkled you know, amongst, whether it was kind of more anxiety and worry whether it was anger or whether it was kind of almost like compassion and, you know, caring and wanting to help her fellow man. Yeah. It was really interesting. Oh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. It was... I'll be down to read three. Yeah, it definitely. It didn't... It wasn't so bad it knocked me off the hype horse. Right. I like that. We need to coin that because that's like a double H, you know, yeah. hype horse. That's like, like Marvel things. Yeah, and that's like that's better than high horse because you know if you're high horse you're kind of being pompous, you know, yeah. you're kind of being a little bit of an asshole. But like if it's the hype horse, like hey, that's like jumping on the hype train. But see, yeah. the alliteration makes it more alluring. Yeah, I like so Mac, that. what would you rate it? Uh I'm gonna be more over the hump than not, so I'm gonna be a three. I'm gonna give it a three and a half because I enjoy Spider Woman as a character, so I enjoy seeing the human side. I feel that. All right, Jacob. Well, whenever you're ready to introduce numero tres. At number three, we have Faithless 2, which is... Faithless you know, 2, number yeah, two. Yeah, Faithless 2, number two. And it, this book li- is exactly what I wanted. It lived <laughs> up perfectly to the first one. And, you know, I loved the first one. I thought it was phenomenal. Same thing with this one. I don't know why I really like this book, but it's just something about it allures me. You like the champagne luge. That was your favorite. That was your that favorite, was part. favorite part. <laughs> the champagne luge. My favorite part was like the first page. Oh, the first page was kind of good. I did, I, dude. It just jumped right into it. Yeah, like, it really said deep end. Yeah, and it's just a great book. I love that there's st- it. Like I said before, it's tagged as a supernatural, and we don't know how it's supernatural, but they keep just hinting at it. You know, it's something with the blood. Right. And, you know, it hasn't been revealed. This cover is phenomenal because, you know, you have what looks like Sebastian's hand. You have the lips behind her, but you also have the red hand. Yeah. You know, like, what is that? Yeah, exactly. It gives you more to look forward to with the next issue or, you know, just kind of ponder over in your head as you're reading. Because I will say, like you just did, when I sat there holding the book in my hand prior to even opening opening the front cover, when I saw that, I recognized exactly what you did. Oh, okay, the lips are that other girl and the hand is Solomon. But, like, what's up with the red? Yeah. They they actually said his name in this book. And as soon as they said it, I was like, okay. I I remember that. I just read it and keep going. I thought it was Sebastian. Yeah. See, well, that's what I said last week when we were having. That's why I thought it was. Yeah. But, yeah, the red hand that covers one of uh, Faith's eyes, it's it's just kind of, you know, it, it still makes you think about the mystery and what will be. Because this, there were some developments made in this book that 
kind of, I think, fills it out a little bit more than issue one did. Like, I get issue one was setting the stage for this to be a five-issue miniseries, and, like, two and three are obviously going to be kind of more, well, two, three, and four are kind of going to be the meat and potatoes of the story. But I really, really like the introduction of that old woman, and that Faith instantly recognized her. So, you know, that must be a character originally from that first series, I mean, she said that she recognized her as a homeless woman, but I don't think that's just it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there, there's a deeper story to that old woman. Yeah. And one thing that I like about this book is it almost has a secret society vibe yeah. to it, you know? Because uh-huh. not even in the book itself, but on the first page in the book, there's a big F, you know, but it's backwards. Yeah. And I th- there's another one in the book that I noticed. Yeah, it was on the back, like the yeah. second to last page. Yeah. And with how the symbol was on the ground, and you know that you know that was a whole panel was just that symbol right. on their feet. You know, I think it, we're getting into the supernatural aspect. There's a secret society aspect, and I think that's going to be interesting. That would be a really cool twist. I would like that if there was kind of a secret society vibe. I'd be down for that. That would make Faithless the series overall more interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. Because, like as I've said so many times, ladies and gentlemen. Do not forget that this is definitely an erotic comic. Yeah, it, it is. It's definitely erotic. It's definitely M-rated. Kids should not read this. Definitely not. Only for the late teens and young adults. Well, obviously the old heads, too. They're more than welcome. But, <laughs> hey, how many old heads do I see walking up in the shop buying Faithless? Or buying anything that really kind of has more to do with kind of those questionable topics like faith and like sex and those sort of things like old heads don't really buy that sort of thing that often or middle-aged you know older people they just don't i don't know maybe a lot of them just find it kind of i don't know slow or maybe they're just like very campy like they like their heroes and they like their you know kind of horror type genre but either way i'm ready to throw a rating on this bad boy or shall i say bad girl if you are i'm gonna give it a three and a half Okay. Because I like that. I'm ready for the next one. But this one just... While everything was great and I loved every aspect of it, it didn't have the substance I wanted. So, I remember... I feel you on that. I remember what I rated the first one. And I'm jumping up like... I'm pretty sure... Yeah, I'm jumping up a whole point on this. Last time, I'm pretty sure I gave it like a 1.5. So this time I'm doing the 2.5. Okay, so it's growing on you. Yeah, I was about to say, I definitely approve of this issue way more than I did the previous issue. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen. This was personally, going into this week, just looking at the keys that were going to come out. This is what I was anticipating. This is what many of you have been anticipating. This is number two on our list, Venom number 26. And the beginning of phase two of Donnie Kate's Venom, you know, run. What do you, what, I want to know, first of all, because this was one of the first Donnie Kate's books. We've read lots of Donnie Kate stuff, whether it was Venom, whether it was Thor, whether it was Absolute Carnage last summer. We've read a lot of his stuff, and you say more than not, you know, he, his writing doesn't live up to your expectation or like you're just not as much of a fan of his writing and most of the time when we've read those books in the past and did reviews on them you said you didn't like them more than you liked them but there were some that had saving grace but this one you straight up told me you liked it so i want to know why 
I, and I hope you have good reasons. Man, I think it was the art more than the writing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, the art was stellar. Yeah, like the writing was solid, but I feel like just the way it was depicted, you mm-hmm. know, is what had me hooked. Because I love Venom, but I like Venom has the big badass Venom. You right. Know? And, like the bulky, strong Venom. Yeah. Like and, what he is. Yeah, like what you get to see here, you know. Like in this one, he's just different than how how he's been in any of them we've read before. Right. He's more true Venom. And I, I like that he's like that with his son there especially, you know. I feel like that really kicks him up a notch because then he has to protect him too. Right. He has something to lose. Yeah. And, like, that just made it such a better book to me when you added in something for him to lose. Yeah. I feel like that's something that Venom, the character, or Eddie Brock has lacked just ever since his creation and his debut in Amazing Spider-Man 300. Because if you think about it, like... Eddie Brock was and portrayed in the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man Three. Yeah. Like in whatever iteration, whether it's the comics or the one time, well, two times now with the actual Venom movie being on the big screen, he almost always is down bad. You know, he's in a rough situation. He doesn't have anything to live for. Yeah. And so it's when he meets Venom that he kind of is like, okay, like I can be the man now, you know? Like I can hunt down the people who have done me wrong, which was his original vendetta, you know, with Spider-Man and all. But now in this new Donny Cates run, like we said, with the introduction of Dylan Brock and, you know, him thinking for a while that he was just uh, Dylan's big brother – and then he found Dylan himself found out that that was his father. And now that they've you know absolute carnage is over, and you know they've been doing some bonding. It is really really nice to see again, kind of what we were talking about with Spider Woman number two, the human side of our characters. You know the 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 compassion. You know the real yeah. loving elements. Yeah, and I just I, one thing I really enjoyed about it was when he was talking to Venom. You know, like in his mind, right. he was still in like the big badass mode. Uh huh. Like he would, like you know, he was like, "We gotta fucking kill him." Yeah. But then, like, he'd be like, "It's okay, son." You know, yeah. like, like out loud. And, like, I just thought that was great. Yeah, that you know? was good to just like go back and forth between talking to a symbiote and Dylan, and just the the complete. It was almost like my man was bipolar. Like he was yeah. just flip flopping between, you know, super badass and like caring father. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning to the end, and see, what's crazy is we're talking about things that we liked about this book, but we're not even talking about why this book is super hot. This is the first appearance of a new character, of a character called Virus. And what it seems like we kind of picked up with Virus, and a lot of people, when they saw the solicitation for the cover A, and, you know, Virus is right there on the front cover, it looks almost kind of like a symbiote, in a war machine costume and or a war machine armor and some people are even saying that virus gives off kind of punisher vibes i get that but especially because he was coming at venom sideways like from the very get-go when he busts into the uh warehouse and he's just kind of like you know you're scum like you've done me wrong like i'm coming at you and he was like bro i don't even know you what are you talking about yeah so, with the fact that Virus is now on the scene, I, with the new revelation that, uh, spoiler, Virus doesn't actually have a symbiote, or at least not in this first issue, it makes me less into the Virus character. But, what are you gonna... Th- I was about to say, you immediately... That makes right. me more into the Virus character. Really? Yeah, because 
the fact that, you know, he has the Green Goblin board. His armor looks like it's just random pieces of Iron Man and War Machine He has armor. the Hobgoblin bombs. Yeah, he has Hobgoblin bombs. He has all this random tech, you know? Yeah. It's not just villain tech. It's not just hero tech. He just has a combination of it. And he's going toe-to-toe with Venom with that, you know? Without anything original, just random stuff he has. Yeah. Like, that makes him way interesting to me just because of how powerful Venom is. Right. And this is just a guy with a vendetta and a lot of time on his hands, it looks like. Yeah, this this is kind of your perfect vigilante because this guy doesn't seem to really belong on a hero or villain side because even though he is our antagonist in this issue, technically, since he was, I think he'd be an anti-hero. Well, yeah, he probably... Because technically he's fighting a villain. Right. Well, well, Venom's more of an anti-hero now. Yeah. Since he does good, but he yeah. goes about doing good in a rough way. Well, anti-hero versus anti-hero. Dude, and that might be some of, of the best think, content that you can get. Yeah, because everyone, you know, Venom, he's, like you said, he does good sometimes, but he's still a bad guy. Yeah. You know, and this guy looks like same thing. He's hunting down a bad guy, but he's really... Not trying to be friendly. Yeah. But, you know, that was my favorite part about Virus. And just how he's very persistent. Yeah. yeah. He He he, kept coming back. Yeah, you know, like he flew past them in the beginning. And, you know, you just kind of forgot about him, you know. You just knew him and says, oh, the virus. And then the book keeps going. And you don't see him until about the end. And his introduction was great. And just, I feel like everything about the character could be great. I agree. I would like to fight him in a Spider-Man game. Whoa. In Spider-Man 2 for PS5. Uh, that'd be nice. Whoa, as Miles Morales? That would be kind of crazy. Yeah. Hit him with a Venom Strike and his whole suit just... <laughs> just kind of shuts down. Um, One of the things that I would... That I think is something I may be looking into a little much. But with Virus... Since he's completely covered up, you Mm -hmm. can't see even an arm. You don't know what color he is. You don't know whether he's a man or a woman, technically. I mean, there wasn't, since he's wearing an Iron Man costume, there wasn't actual, like, breastplates. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of like the way women can wear men's t-shirts, but men can't really wear women's t-shirts. Like, you know, it would work. So, basically, what I'm geared up to say with this is, who is Virus? What is Virus going to become? You know, if it if this is a completely new character, great. I love expanding the universe. But if this is an already existing character, I want to know how long Donny Cates or how long this story is going to keep that under wraps. Because with this being, you know, a really hot issue, first appearance, obviously if the origin ever gets released or if, you know, there's a reveal... All of that stuff just a few months ago when we were reading uh, Batman, Batwoman Beyond. Or, excuse me, Batman Beyond. But there was the Batwoman Beyond first appearance. Then there was her origin story. There was the cameo appearance. You know, that sort of thing will revolve and keep coming around with more and more information kind of leaking out about new characters and that sort of thing. Especially when they're fan favorite characters like somebody who would be introduced not only by Kate's, but in the Venom run, because there's plenty of Venom fans out there that probably originally could care less about Cates. They fought, fell in love with him through this run. Yeah. But 
dude, we've talked enough about this single issue, and we got a number one on our list to talk about. So what do you rate Venom 26? I'll give it a four. Okay. That's solid. Uh, I think that's the highest I've ever gave anything of Donny Cates. I think that is, too. Yeah. And I, I don't imagine it'll ever get higher because we've already talked about, like, our personal opinions on giving fives. Yeah. And, you know... The time we ever give something a five, I recommend any and everyone, regardless of whether you're in Timbuktu or in Elizabethtown, North Carolina, you need to pick that book up. If it gets rated a five, because I like to think that we're pretty, we're pretty hard on the books. Yeah, like we're we're good critics. Um, for me, I mean, I can nitpicky about art. Yeah, remember that one Fantastic Four book? Yeah, like how they were drawn. I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> I think that was Negative Zone. Was it? It was no. the one where it was illustrated by the husband and wife. No, that was um. No, that was Terry and Rachel Dodson. Yeah. That was them on uh, X Men slash Fantastic Four. That four issue miniseries, which yeah. also might have got turned into a um. Digital only for okay. the last issue, which would suck. I would hate that to yeah. get three of the issues and then the last one just has to come out, but it gets thrown to digital. But either way, your rating for Venom 26 was a 4, and I'm going to sit right there with you because I personally think that's the highest I've ever given a Venom book on our... Even though yours was, you know, a Donny Cates book, so that's an even bigger playground. Yeah. But at number 1, we have Nightwing, issue 72, Journey to Joker War, and this is the punchline versus... Looks like Nightwing on the cover. It does look like Nightwing on the cover. But boy, does this book have some twist. This is some... This Dick Grayson ain't never been done like Jason Todd, but this is the closest he'll ever get Pretty much, to getting yeah. done like Jason Todd. Yeah, especially since it's, you know, from the Joker. Yeah. Stuff happens in this book that I don't want to say, just for spoilers. Yeah, I definitely don't want to give away too many spoilers. But, uh... You know, the cover presents that it's Punchline versus Nightwing. Yeah. You get a new character, Ferdinand. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for you to make that comment. But what's super cool about this is you kind of get some of the more dynamic characters from the Batman universe specifically. You get Nightwing. You get Batgirl. You know, Barbara Gordon. You get Joker. Like, I... I wish there would have been a little bit more Joker. That's really the only thing that I would say could have been better about this. I wish there was more Barbara Gordon. I really like Batgirl and really feel like she's underrated. Yeah, I do. I will wholeheartedly. She has those fist things, man. Yeah. Like, that's underrated. Yeah. You know? Especially when you don't have actual powers. Yeah. Like, she's doing big moves out there. Yeah, I really do like the punchline in this book. Like... It seems almost every single time that Punchline, from her first appearance in 89, where she basically only says something over the phone, to her first, well, it wasn't her first full appearance, but her first fighting appearance, I guess. Her second full appearance, Batman 92. Her personality gets really well fleshed out. And then we got, on that same week, we got the Joker uh, 100-page Super Spectacular. That had her origin story. You get more of her personality there. But then this really helps kind of... 
I don't know, solidify my attention with Punchline. I'm tuned in 110%. And I know many of you might say, oh, well, you know, you you were saying that it, you know, Punchline wasn't worth getting all involved in and everything with 89. Well, now I'm here also saying that this is 10 out of 10 a book that people should read. I mean, it was just enjoyable as a journey to Joker War and Joker War, I'm pretty sure the first issue of that is going to come out next week. So this is kind of wrapping up the tie-ins. Or maybe there's one more Nightwing tie-in. I'm not sure. Either way, Joker War is, as a DC fan, and especially as a Batman slash Joker DC fan, you know, kind of a true blue DC fan, you should start picking up the books. For sure. Like, all this new punchline hype I'm, I'm, I'm sold on it. And like I said a minute ago, I'm a pretty big critic, especially when it comes to DC and stuff I don't like. Everyone knows I love Punchline. Not Punchline. I love Harley. Yeah. Harley is my second favorite DC character overall. And I love her. She'll probably stay there forever. And Punchline is just a tad, just, just enough, just crazier than Harley to where she could make a solid top five. She's not going to ever surpass Harley. Right. But she is. She could get her way up there with her. Mm-hmm. Easily. Yeah, I don't think it would take long at all once Punchline starts to become semi-mainstream or, like, just more non-comic readers find out about Punchline. I feel like there is going to be kind of a house-divided type thing. There are going to be people who are still, you know true to the OG and they're going to be like oh yeah I love Harley like I've always loved Harley and I'm always gonna love Harley but then there are going to be those people who kind of want to be in the niche group or the niche group and they're going to be like oh well you know Punchline she's you know way more badass and she's actually not joking all the time and that sort of thing like she's not a clown she might put on the makeup but you know there's a badass behind that makeup yeah I feel like it will get to that at some point yeah, I was about to say that's because that's how the fans are, you know. If you if you give them kind of two characters that are slightly similar but very very different, people are gonna basically sit like Carolina and Duke, you know. Yeah, there's no mixing it. It's one or the other. The day I walk in to Hot Topic and I see Punchline merch, it's <gasps> over, dude. I was about to say that day I better be getting a few Snapchats. You might I might have to pay you back because I gotta do shopping for you. <laughs> Yes, sir. You, you never go. True that. Yeah, we. I was about to say that is crazy. We never shop together. Never have. Let's go. Right. Hey, now. like, I, we, we like all the same shops. I'm pretty sure. So let's do it. But what would you rate it, Mac? Mm, from the cover down to the actual storyline, I would say this is easily a 3.5 and teetering on a four. Like you say Man. very often. Like you say very often, if we were using more than half and whole, this would be a 3.75. Yeah. Well, I'm not agreeing with you on that, but I'm getting what you're saying. But I'd give this a four and a half. Woo! I don't even like Dick Grayson, but just the amount of Batgirl, punchline, the way she comes into this one, the way she's depicted, the art, everything on it was fantastic. Her entrance was stellar. The artist here, I don't know who the artist is. I can't read it from over there. Uh, it is Cliquette. Well, or cliquet. They do a phenomenal job at when Punchline needs to look like she's deranged, depicting her like she's deranged. But when she's not, she's not. Right. And that is, you know, that 
there's a panel where she looks really, really deranged, and that had me sold on the character. Yeah, it was, that was really well done. You know done the panel? Art. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Where it was semi kind of right in her face. Yeah, she, like she was cockeyed. Like, yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was scary punchline. Yeah. And so that's just got me sold on this. Okay. Well, I'm a three and a half and you're a four and a half. So that gives it an eight on, yeah. out of our ten. And now we've got a little speck to talk about. Yes, sir. We do have some speckeroony to walk into. So well, which you piece go? do you want to talk about? I'll let you pick a piece first. Um, well, so I actually have a piece that I'm going to like roll straight off the dome. All right, and go. this is kind of rumor mill type stuff. So I don't actually have anything to read off of or directly reference. This is just kind of my botched quoting of what was said. So a lot of people right now are assuming because DC left Diamond Comic Distributing and went with uh, UCS for East Coast and Lunar Distribution for West Coast that... DC is kind of on the back door. And what I mean by that is, you know, they're running out of funds and their books and merch and I guess everything isn't really selling as well as Marvel. And indies, you know, indies have never been able to, aside from IDW, because IDW licenses or license everything that they produce, um, indies have never gotten that same sort of love like the mainstream Marvel and DC have. So what I've been hearing a lot lately is Marvel and Disney, I guess, more on a you know big picture sort of thing, is debating whether or not to buy DC and Image, the biggest indie. Hmm. So could you imagine if Marvel, DC, and Image, the three top dogs as far as sales go in the comic book world, all became one publishing company? That would be nutty. That would be nutty. Crossovers from hell. I like would, I would hate Marvel it. and DC crossovers, Marvel and indie crossovers, I DC like and it. indie crossover. I don't think I would either. Like, it. but I mean, hey, money pushes agendas, and so you know how many comics from before the merge would spike. Oh yeah, yeah. Like Boy. even stuff that came out. Like if they announced it tomorrow and said that January one is going to be like when we start producing stuff together. But up until that point, we're going to finish out all our projects for 2020. The first books and the last books, like the last Marvel DC indie stuff that was getting released like that last week of December, right around Christmas, through the roof. And the same stuff with the week later, you know, right after January 1st, everything would just, like you said, be ridiculous. Yeah. Ultimately, I am not for that rumor, though, because I like having my different publishers. I like having my different publishers focus on stuff, and I'll say this, too. I've started liking more of the DC stuff because DC is a lot more okay with being edgy or being kind of, you know, gritty, while Marvel has to kind of keep up some sort of face value being that they're owned by Disney. So they're, Marvel's never going to get real dark or, you know kind of grimy the way i would like you know even if they print something under their max imprint the most violence i think we're we would ever get from marvel is just you know a little bit of gore maybe a severed limb or a decapitation and i'm speaking lightly about those things but you could see such worse things and there have been worse things than that put in comic books yeah but ultimately i am not pro giant merger i think our three top dogs need to stay all separate and there have been backdoor rumors about just marvel and dc 
you know, yeah. Marvel buying DC, and even that, I'm not for. Yeah, I feel that. And, you know, it's funny that you want to talk about Marvel buying DC, because the piece of spec I want to talk about is the DC Universe, the their subscription-based service, the stream their Basically original their Disney shows. Plus. Yeah, their Disney Plus is supposed to be ending, and it came from a source that had also... They had rumored right before Arrow started... No, it wasn't Arrow. Green Lantern. They, they're doing a Green Lantern show. Nice. Yeah, and this I did same, hear about that. This same source said that. like They were one of the first ones to say that before it got announced. Right. And they're saying that they're now hearing that the DC Universe is going to be canceled because the Deathstroke show and uh, there's a couple more that are all going straight to HBO Max, like Doom Patrol yeah. already is. And all of their new stuff is going to HBO Max. And now they're saying that they're just going to cancel DC Universe. And all of their originals are going to be uploaded to HBO Max. And that they'll just use HBO Max to publish stuff. I think that fits really well for like what they're going to push. Like the types of shows. Yeah. And like the audience that they're shooting for. Yeah, because sh- HBO Max is, also has like Game of Thrones and yeah. stuff like that. And Shameless. Right. And all those God, shows. I love Shameless. Don't yeah. talk about Shameless. And, like, you know, with Harley Quinn being an animated show but still being vulgar and grotesque like Harley can be. Right. You know, I feel like that's a decent platform for it. For sure. It already kind of fits in, you know. Yeah, I think it fits perfectly with that new animated Harley Quinn you were talking about. That show is excellent. Yeah. And you're going to have Game of Thrones, which is, like, a nice fantasy stuff. And then you're also going to appeal to your comic book nerds. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? So HBO is really going to reel them in. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that those people who are already tuning in to watch uh, Game of Thrones... Well, Game of Thrones has ended. Well, were tuning in to yeah. watch Game of Thrones. Aren't, and I guess still are, because I imagine they're pre-recorded on there, right? Like, it's yeah. kind of like Netflix. Like, yeah. you could yeah, look up and watch. So people who are watching it, or people who tune in to watch it, they're probably comic book fans to some extent. Whether they just like fantasy comic books, or whether they're just nerds in general, like we yeah. are. Well, what is our... Don't we have one final piece? There was one more. Well, the other thing I'd sent you was that the uh, actress that played Laura in the Wolverine movie, she uh, said... Well, this was three days ago. She said, yes, she would definitely play Laura... Well, play X-23. Right. In the movies. And so that was just said, but, you know, they haven't announced anything she's going to be in. But she just went on record saying, like, yeah, definitely. And see, that's the route that I want from the new... Like, if we're going to have the X-Men, which we know we are. I mean, Disney wouldn't have... Or Marvel wouldn't have acquired the rights back to Fantastic Four and to Deadpool and to the X-Men if we weren't going to get them sometime in the near future, in the next three to five years, I'd say. But that's what I want. I don't want somebody to get cast as Wolverine. I don't want another replacement Hugh Jackman. Let's just go forth. If we're going to have the Wolverine character, let it be Laura Kinney. Let it be X-23. I like, you know, having another badass female character, but also I like watching her character both physically grow and, you know, mentally and kind of on a power level grow and a maturity for the actual character. Either way, I think Laura Kinney or Daphne Keene, actually, you know, the actress... She knocked it out of the park, too. And people weren't, critics especially, were not being, you know, easy on her. Like, they were holding her to the same expectation as they were Hugh Jackman, who had donned that character, who knows how many times by that, 12 or 15 times? Yeah. So Something about her 
when she was being casted, um, one of the people that were doing the casting, she punched the like Laura yeah. punched her punched the casting person in the arm so hard it left a bruise the next day, and so that, then they were like, "Yeah, she's the one." Yeah, <laughs> they were like, "She's physically fit to do it." Definitely. I mean, that girl seemed like she could channel some, you know, ferocity. Yeah. Like she did a very good job. Yeah, her portrayal was spot on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that ends our spec category, and so that means that we're coming to an end. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as always, we thank you for listening with us again this week. This is Macadelic and Skelly Boy signing off.